The situation continues to be just destructive in Ukraine. Russia continues its attacks on the cities of Mariupol on Kharkiv to the east, taking southern cities, working on building a southern strategy that would allow them possibly a jump-off point into an invasion of Moldova. The situation continues to get worse. And while it is true that the Russian military has not advanced in the way anybody thought, they have problems. It is embarrassing in many ways. It proves a a lack of cohesiveness of the Russian military. They are still bombing, still advancing, and even with this ceasefire that's supposed to allow uh, refugees out of the country, there's still bombing going on. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army military analyst, West Point graduate. Let's talk about some of the things that have taken place uh, over over the weekend, and that is uh, you have the Israeli uh, Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, who went uh, to Russia, spent three hours with Putin trying to figure out a way to de-escalate, trying to put himself in there as an intermediary. Not too much uh, effect, and you have a ceasefire that doesn't seem to have much effect either take us through these two things well first of all i think it's great that we have some kind of shuttle diplomacy taking place with legitimate leaders in the world right now what i mean by that are folks that can actually um, maybe talk some sense into vladimir putin uh, i don't think it's any uh necessarily anybody in europe frankly with the exception of erdogan and turkey uh, but i think the israeli prime minister has the legitimacy to do that um i also think i'm sure he warned Vladimir Putin, that it's not going to be a good look to have um, an Israeli head of state or you know, a Jewish head of state murdered uh, in this combat. So I, I'm sure that, that that message was sent to him as well. Um, so so I think that was good. I, I, you know, again, maybe you had to bring Merkel out of retirement or somebody, but, but the shuttle diplomacy has worked in the past in certain areas. The question is, who's got the legitimacy to do it? Macron doesn't. Our president doesn't. Kamala Harris doesn't. Uh, no one else really in the East and in, in, in the West can do it. So I think that was good. Second question about um, Russian military. They just basically sat on their hands for the last 24 hours and can't figure out whether they're trying to you know refuel or rearm or whatever. But just don't see that. The satellite photos show they just don't move. Um, they're, they're, uh, they just have not performed at all in terms of uh, any kind of uh, you know cohesive military front. Now, the South is going better than the North, no question about that. Um, and perhaps uh, we're warned that we're going to move on Odessa, but they haven't done that. They haven't done that yet. So we'll stand by and watch out what they do today. So the ceasefire that's supposed to be happening, there was supposed to be a ceasefire uh, late last week that never took place. We have 1.5 million refugees, Ukrainian refugees now in Poland and in other places. They supposedly are back to ceasefire to get refugees out, but there's still shelling going on. What are the areas that are taking the hits right now? All of them, basically, uh, the the Mariupol in the south, even Kiev in the north. In, in the north, um, you know, uh, every single city is subject to this right now, where they're seeing going out. I, we cannot trust the Russians to put any kind of um, humanitarian effort into letting them leave, and and, and the fact that uh, they just haven't. You know, for example, closed off those western corridors there um, goes to show you that they're just limited on this. I think they're just taking advantage of targets of opportunity. 
Uh, they don't necessarily see civilians there in these places. Um, they're just terror bombing the cities, knowing full well that they're trying to you know, get them to, to acquiesce. But, but in most cases, if there are cities in the south, um, we saw an unfortunate family that was killed um, live on television, or you know, we saw that film last night uh, that came through. What I find there is the Ukraine soldier has got to have the same empathy and compassion and trying to defend their, their country, and now they're helping civilians. They're just stretched to the max right now, no question, and, uh, and doing all they can to you know, save their country. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army military analyst. This is where, sir, it gets nuts. If you tell me that the Russian military is just sitting there, if you tell me the Russian military, uh, you don't know if they're refueling or they've got a logistical issue. If you tell me that they're a bunch of bumbling, stumbling fools, yet they're still killing people, yet they're still on the attack, yet they're still engaging... Which one of the American people is supposed to believe that the Russian military are a bunch of fools and we could seriously go in with a no-fly zone and put an end to this? Or this is a military that can do massive damage and they will indeed take the country if we don't send planes to Ukraine like we're trying to shuttle, get, let, let, the, let Poland send the MiGs to Ukraine. We will resupply Poland with new American-made uh, fighters and then the Ukrainian people will actually be able to fight for themselves. Which one is it? Yeah, a couple of good points. I'd say, first of all, they have numbers. They brought 190,000 troops to the battlefield, so they have numbers that are allowing them to fire strategic weapons. They're not still engaged in close combat. This is not the Russian soldier you know, taking out civilians with tanks and buildings. They're nowhere near these cities. All of these attacks are coming from strategic weapons over the horizon, uh, not indiscriminate, with no real precision targeting or any of those things. And uh, they have those numbers. And in fact, it's more being unlucky because there are still many people that are able to get out. That's number one. But number two, that idea of actually, you know, having Poland give um, those airframes, those MiG airframes over to Ukraine pilots, if we can get them there to fly them in, is a great idea. We still can't put in this no-fly zone. American forces can't in any way get, uh, get involved with this uh, because it then gets directly con- confrontational between Americans or, let's say, NATO forces and Russian forces. So there's, there's this fine line of escalation. We've already escalated it now past um, lethal aid, right? I mean, we've given javelins, anti-aircraft mi- missiles and the like. Maybe we'll bring in what are called Avengers and M-Shorads. So those are mobile uh, anti-aircraft devices. Uh, maybe we'll get to that spot. Um, but we just can't cross that line of we actually pulling the triggers there. So, um, I, you know, again, this is more of a, a numbers game. They still have a tremendous amount of numbers that they brought to the ta- brought to the battlefield. And uh, we've just got to use the time on our side to try to get uh, the, our weapons and, and things back into the hands of the Ukraine citizens. And we're talking about weaponry. We are not talking about soldiers. The, the, the conversation about the no-fly zone continues to be a big one. And you hear people in this knee-jerk way discuss we should have a no-fly zone. But a no-fly zone, as people like Senator Marco Rubio have, I think, explained it very, very well, the senator from Florida. You're saying that we're going to have to shoot at Russian MiGs. You're going to have to shoot at those troops on the ground who are deploying surface-to-air missiles. You are engaging us in a world war. What is the take right now on a no-fly zone in at least the eastern part of Ukraine? Well, the bottom line is we have the fact that the Ukraine Air Force is still flying 12 days after the start is somewhat of a a small miracle given 
what the Russians, again, should have capability of being able to do. They didn't take out their anti-missile defense systems. The Russians didn't take out the Ukraine's missile defense systems prior to its starting, didn't destroy airframes on the ground. Um, Ukraine was smart, got them in the air, moved them around, moved them to airfields that they didn't know about. They've been hiding those planes. Um, But again, there's just no way that we can do that because the other part of that is not just engaging air to air, it's engaging air to ground. We would go after those on the ground that would look to shoot down our airplanes as well. Also, a no-fly zone doesn't guarantee that we'd be able to shoot some of these cruise missiles that you see flying over. Um, that's like you know, hitting a bullet in the middle, middle of the air. That's a lot more difficult. Uh, now, we should, that's not to say we shouldn't put our Patriot missiles and other air defense platforms along that now it's going to be a very hard um, eastern NATO border um, with, with Russia. But, um, but again, we've got to just give these weapon systems, the Stingers, the, the Shorad devices, the Avengers, give those things to the Ukraine military, have them come over through that Polish border and, and let them have it. Before I, before I let you go, you brought up the idea of diplomacy. And, of course, this is a conversation. I have no issue with Israeli Prime Minister Bennett, uh, you know, trying to get this this done. I don't think there's a harm in it. Um, there's been the conversation of you need to give Russia an off-ramp. They need a way out of, of this. Then there's the conversation that Putin doesn't seem to want a way out of this. He wa- he wants this. And as as I think it's Poroshenko, the former Ukrainian president, who is actually fighting on the front lines, uh, uh, Putin's a madman. He has just gotten worse with time, and there is no reasoning uh, with him. But in this conversation of diplomacy, what is it, based on, on your analysis, that you would like to see and from whom? Well, let's say, you know, again, it's that third-party shuttle diplomacy that comes in. Um, the question is, now what does it look like, and what, what does Ukraine accept for the fighting to stop? And will Vladimir Putin accept, um, let's say, Ukraine gets redrawn? He's, he claims it's, he's never accepted it as a country. Um, I, I don't think you're going to be able to redraw it, though, based on the ground that he's taken so far, because we can't. Ukraine can't go from a nation that had once had access to the Black Sea to not have access to the Black Sea. So that doesn't make any sense. They still haven't really taken Odessa yet either, which I think is why that's what their focus is going to be. Because let's say Putin does get that and he surrounds the country, landlocks it. Maybe then he's, he's arguing from or he's going to negotiate from a different position. I, but I just don't think it's going to matter, Tony. I think he's going to continue to go until until it's more evident that he's losing. Um, and he's just it's just going to continue to go for, for a very long time. This could go months. Uh, and I'm not even sure he's interested in that off-ramp anymore, which does put, again, every day he, he's there, it puts him more in peril of staying as the leader of Russia.